0: um, The message of that song, what a a tremendous message. But beyond that, great singing. If I could sing like that, there would be two of me up here because I would be beside myself. And so God didn't give me that talent. Brother, thank you so much. What a gift. If you've looked in your worship guide, you'll see that the topic of today is stewardship. Now, I know what that means for some of you. You immediately respond, he's talking about money. And, And I'm not at all today talking about Money, I'm talking about something uniquely different as we think about stewardship. We're picking back up with our series of messages entitled, It Matters What You Believe. And I believe that one of the core foundational uh, beliefs of our lives as Christian must be this Idea of stewardship and we've given statements of affirmation in the past and we want to continue to do that this morning is a foundation for what we're going to do uh, as we look at this notion of radical living and radical giving. As we think about being stewards of what we have, I want to put, if we can, our our statement of affirmation on the screen. Uh, Hopefully it's there in your bulletin as well. And as we look at this, I want to read them together. Um, The statement of affirmation simply starts here by saying, I believe that everything that I am or own belongs to God. We may not actually have that, I'm sorry, on the screen. So look at it in your book, if you will, in your worship guide. Let's say that together. I believe that everything I am or own belongs to God. And I want us to read the second one together. You ready? Here we go. God is the source of all provision, and we are to use our lives as managers of His resources. I apologize to the guys up front, I didn't have those in the the screen, but I want you to think about this. As we think about stewardship, most often we gravitate immediately to money, and we begin to think, well, he's talking about how we manage our treasure. But I want us to think from a biblical perspective, uh, it's much bigger than that, that we are to manage our lives as stewards or managers of everything that God has given us, because God owns it all. Everything that I am, everything that I have belongs to God. And every moment that I have, every thought that I have, it all belongs to God. So am I willing to allow God uh, to work in my life in that perspective? Am I willing to say I'm going to live intentionally focused with the idea that God is the source of every uh, blessing, every provision, every resource? And we live in response, saying, God, all that I have comes from you, and all that I have will be lived and used out for you. Really, what I want to say to you this morning, church, is we're talking about values and priorities. Now, some of you perhaps have a weakness like I do. I have a severe weakness when it comes to the value of certain things. And maybe some of you have a trait that's similar to mine. Anybody here intrigued by infomercials? Anybody at all? Most of you are probably, I see a hand or two, I mean, shamefully, just kind of barely raising them up. Most of you are annoyed by them, I'm quite certain, but many of you perhaps have the same mindset that I do. There are times that, you know, in the middle of the night, insomnia sets in and you decide to turn on the TV and you're flipping through channels and all of a sudden they ask and pose this question, are you tired of this? Are you struggling with this? And I okay, I'll bite, and I stay, and I watch for a while. And I find myself 10, 15 minutes later intrigued by this product. I, maybe it's a kitchen gadget. And as I look at that kitchen gadget, I say, you know what? That would revolutionize the Hanbury household. <laughs> there have been times I wanted to wake Stephanie from the dead of sleep and say, well, how have we lived without that before? I thought about waking her and saying, we should throw everything in our kitchen away right now and go ahead and order it. I mean, Stephanie, there's only, I mean, this is, there's nothing standing between us and that miraculous kitchen gadget, but five easy payments. But wait. <laughs> Stephanie, if I call in the next 10 minutes, it's four easy payments. I mean, <laughs> and I just get motivated to buy that. And then I buy it and it shows up at my house and I use it once and it falls completely apart because it was junk to begin with. The, the promise of what they sold was not nearly the value that the product actually held. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. Before we move to our text, I really do want to begin with that kind of a mindset. I want to ask some of those leading questions and I want to see if this fits you. You see, whether it's fitness or convenience, the promise is there. It can make you happier or healthier, more productive or more successful. But when we talk about values and think about values, I want us to move to a biblical mindset that God desires for each of us this morning. As we look at this, let me ask these questions. I want to offer to you an activity or a practice that will revolutionize your life. So let me ask these questions. Number one, we'll put these on the screen. What if there was one practice in life that would bring you priceless joy? What if there was one activity that could also benefit and bless others? How about this? What if there was one practice in life that I could recommend to you today that would meet both your needs and the needs of other people? What if I told you that there was one activity that would expand God's kingdom in the Pine Belt, in the state of Mississippi, and the rest of the world if you were to participate in it. Sound pretty good so far? I'm trying to do my best infomercial pitch. I hope that you would appreciate that. How about this? This is an activity that the Bible says will literally open the windows of heaven, invite God's blessing into your life, while at the same time allowing God's glory to be made known through your life. One activity that would result in eternal reward for you. What if there was one practice that would protect you from envy, jealousy, greed, materialism, and self-centered living? So hopefully I've built it up enough. Would you like to know what that activity is? That was like four of you. Wow, I'm not going into the infomercial business. Would you like to know what that activity is? Good, I'll tell you a little bit later in the sermon. Now you got to listen. Think about this with me for just a moment. As we think about this matter of stewardship, it really boils down to values. And and I want to give you three quick thoughts. As we think about values, our lives reflect our values. You You can put these down and put these on the screen if you would, that next screen. If you look at decisions that people make, you can understand some of their values. Our lives reflect our values. I can look at somebody's conversation, what they talk about. We've had a lot of people this morning. I've had conversations all around this place that have talked about football and food and family. That's been the order of the day for the last couple of weeks during the holiday season. You can look at somebody's conversation, though, and you can tell what they value. They talk about something over and over again that's important to them. Maybe it's hunting or fishing or shopping, maybe it is their family. Maybe it's the Lord. All of those things reflect our values. But secondly, you, you can also look at somebody's calendar and see how they spend their time. And you can certainly look at somebody's checkbook and see how they spend their money to see how they value what they value, because our lives reflect our values. But secondly, our values drive our decisions. Our values drive our decisions. We make decisions based on the things that are important to us. Am I going to spend more money this year on Christmas or am I going to give more money toward Lottie Moon or other mission offerings? What I value, am I going to save my money and go on a trip to Disney World or am I going to save money and go on a mission trip? Am I going to invest in my children's education or am I going to invest in eating out all the time? Either way, your values drive decisions that you make and ultimately our decisions shape our lives. So that takes us back to this idea of seeing God as the source of all of our provision. And when we see God as the source of everything that we have and as the owner of all that we have and all that we are, then we begin to recognize this idea of this one practice. Now, do you want me to tell you what it is? This one singular lifestyle activity. It's generosity. 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 And if you grab that in your heart and in your mind, this idea of generosity is so very important. God wants us to live generous lives. Why? Because generous lives begin to reflect the heart of Christ. If you'll turn with me to Philippians 2, together we're going to see how God's desire and His design is that we steward all the resources of our lives as managers of all that God gives us by being generous. And I want us to see some great principles here today that hopefully will set us free from the trappings of materialism and greed and selfishness, but also will set us on a trajectory where we begin to share the gospel at a higher level, where we begin to see, God, you have given to me. Now I want to allow others to be blessed by all the blessings that you have given me. It's a lifestyle that God is waking us up to. Now I want you to hear this very quickly before we go into our text, and this is critical. I'm not talking about just being a good philanthropist, being nice and doing good things. You don't have to be a Christian to be generous. There are many lost people. There are benevolent billionaires that give lots and lots of money to various causes but I'm talking about a lifestyle that flows from the inside out, not just doing good things on the outside, but allowing the Spirit of God to shape our hearts and to shape our minds and to take on the mind of Christ, as the Bible says, and as we adapt To that and adopt the mind of Christ as we allow His reign in our lives, then it begins to flow naturally from us in a way that lost people cannot ever experience. You see, it's not about you being the source that gives. Oftentimes, those who are lost, who are apart from God, who are generous, do it out of a heart of what they receive. Even they—they they may be giving multiplied millions of dollars, or or maybe giving lots of their time in volunteering and serving. But oftentimes, they're doing it so they'll feel better about themselves. I'm not talking about a self-serving generosity. I'm talking about a generosity that flows from a genuine heart, acknowledging God as the source of all provision in life that leads us to bless others. We are blessed to be a blessing. Let's continue on together as we look at this. I I really think that we have misunderstood this. And we'll see the Apostle Paul's words to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2 beginning uh, in verse 3. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, as we think about this notion of being selfless and being Christ-like and reflecting our lives, it's a response, God, you have poured grace out upon me and therefore I want to give to others. You know, in, in the world, we have this mindset of giving till it hurts. But biblically, the idea of a generous giver, the obvious, or the picture of a, a cheerful giver, is a picture of one that gives till it tickles. To give till it just... It's just almost comical that I would give this away because, Lord, I know that you'll fill it back up. Lord, I can't outgive you, and I'm just going to give out of a heart that says, uh, Lord, everything comes from you anyway. I don't own anything. And so, I'm going to give. And God, I'm going to watch you continue to do what you do. Two pastors, I'll have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Lloyd Shadrach is a pastor in Nashville, and a dear friend of mine who is a church planner in Las Vegas, his name is Vance Pittman, have really shaped my thinking on this idea of generosity. And so, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask three very simple questions. What is generosity? So, the first one that you'll fill in there is generosity defined. Generosity defined and I want to give you four very quick biblical pictures from biblical language of generosity. The very first one is the picture of saturation. The picture of saturation. In the Old Testament it was a picture of being completely saturated, completely filled. Kind of like a sponge that has been put under water and just squeezed down to the the farthest point possible. All of the air is out. And as it expands, it's filling up with water. So it is completely saturated. Your life is so filled that it just seems to to drip out, to spill out. You are filled up. And that idea of generosity is those drippings that are coming off. It just can't help but come out. Uh, 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 Let me illustrate it this way. A church that I served previously, I was on staff, and our pastor for years and years and years had been the, the, the center point of the dunk tank at the, the fall festival. And finally, at some point along his ministry years, he got wise and decided that he would line item veto the dunk tank. No more. I mean, we would say, Pastor, we'll take the hit for you. We'll get in the dunk tank. But everyone, everybody wanted to dunk the pastor. And so it was just him. So he said, no more, I'm not going to do this. So they came up with another little carnival game. I think one of the deacons perhaps came up with this game. They took a big piece of plywood, they cut a hole out in it, they painted it with a clown face, and members of the staff would put their face through the hole and young children would take sponges and they would throw them at the face of all of the staff. Made sense to, I guess, the chairman of deacons and the pastor who no longer had to be in the dunk tank. Now this worked pretty well mostly. The deacons ran this little booth and most of the time they would dip the sponge into water and then they would squeeze it out. So it was light and fluffy and a small child would throw it and it'd bounce off your nose and you would laugh and money was made for missions and fun was had by all. But not all deacons are filled with the Spirit of God in the same way. And some of them would take that sponge and they would dip it down in there and they would keep it dipped down in there until they pulled it out. And now this young child would throw this weapon of mass destruction that weighed 17 pounds directly at your face. Saturated. I just want you to get that picture of a sponge. In the Old Testament, saturation was a picture of generosity. The second picture on what you to see is the picture of overflow. Very simply, if you had a, a small glass or container and you were going to fill it up with something larger and you just continue to pour and you continue to pour and you continue to pour and it begins to come right up to the, the lip of that glass and all of a sudden you can see it almost rising above the lip of the glass as there's a little bubble and finally the bubble just cascades over the sides and it continues to pour out. A generous life looks like that. Saturated with the grace of God and then pouring out, overflowing to others. Let me give you a word from the New Testament. The Greek word is skopeo and it really, it's the word that we would get scope from. It's like a pair of binoculars, looking. And it means to be always on the ready. It means to be looking for someone to bless when it's used in the conjunction with Generosity. I, I, do you spend your life looking for somebody to bless? I, I find myself driving around stores over the course of the last few weeks and say, I want to find the absolute best parking place for me. Now that wasn't, I want to find the best possible place and then park way out there and point others to that best place. No, I want to get there quick. I want to zip around and try to meet, you know, beat somebody to that parking place. Scopeo is a picture of me looking toward Others always on the ready. And and let me give you the final picture and then we'll put them all together. We're just defining generosity. The final one, I love this. It's a New Testament picture of living on the fingertips. Living on the fingertips. Hope you filled these in. So one was saturation, one was overflow, uh, one was being on the lookout, if you will, or readiness. And the last one is on the fingertips. Church family, once you fill that in, look this way. If I live acknowledging that God is the source of all provision, what I say is, I don't need to live closed-fisted. If I live closed-fisted, greedily keeping what I have, well, I can lose that. If I live my life open-handed before God, from the fingertips, holding things loosely, and saying, God, you're the one that filled my hand and you're the one that wants to distribute it through my hand because you can fill it back up. Do you see that picture? Oftentimes we live our lives with that motto of get all you can and can all you get and sit on the can. I mean, we, we want what we want. And, and it's a, a lack of acknowledgement of God in the process. Well, Brother Scott, you don't know how, I, how hard I've worked to get where I am. Well, you may have worked incredibly hard and been very productive and it may have been very fruitful for you. But you can still leave God out of the equation. I would say this, if you feel like you've worked hard to earn all that you've earned, why don't you do it again, but this time do it without God's help. You said God didn't help me, I did all this. Next time, why don't you work hard again and do it without breathing His air? Right? Oh, God did help me there just a little bit. You see, God is the source of every breath that you breathe. He is the one that keeps your lungs drawing breath and your heart beating even when you're sleeping. The God of Israel never never sleeps or slumbers. He's always watching over. He owns it all. He is the creator. We are the created. And generosity is a life saturated with an understanding that God's grace has filled us up, overflowing to others, on the lookout, ready to bless, ready to distribute, living on the fingertips. Is that a pretty clear definition? We okay with that, everybody? Amen. I'm so glad that you're there with me. This idea of readiness and this idea of looking out, but we don't live like that. I heard a great story not too long ago. It was a man, he was talking about buying his son an Xbox 360, one of these fancy game consoles, and he turned around and he asked his son, can I play with it? And you know what his son told him? No. He said, it's mine. And this man, really kind of tongue-in-cheek, so well, I did a 180 on the 360. I told him that 180, that 360 I bought. That's yours, but I bought it with my money. And so he said, I put it in my room. And, and it changed things. Let me ask you this. Have you ever driven through a drive through with your kids or your grandkids, and you bought them a little snack, and then you ask them for a french fry? And they're like... <laughs> and then they reach into the bag, and they find the smallest most burnt french fry in the bag and they go here because they say it's mine well yeah it's yours but i just bought it with my money We live that way oftentimes and that's a picture of how we treat God. God has blessed you with so many blessings. I mean just the the idea of living in this country and being free to worship without fear as we heard prayed earlier without intimidation. The, The fact that God has blessed you with the opportunity to hear the gospel. He's allowed you to live in a day and an age when His word is easily accessible through print and through other media and you've got all those opportunities and yet at times we look toward God and we say it's mine this life is mine I want to do what I want to do that is the heart attitude of rebellion and sin it's the heart attitude of Adam and Eve in the garden when they said we want to know better than God God's hiding something from us the reality is for us Paul speaks a word that we will carry forward in our second question our second question is very simply this what does generosity look like So I want to give you generosity described. We'll go to our text. Let's look at it again in um, Philippians 2. I'll read the whole thing again. We'll put it on the screen. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul starts out and he says, do how much out of selfish ambition? None, nothing. He says, do nothing out of selfishness or selfish ambition. Now, let me give you a Greek lesson. Dr. Stewart can help us with this because he's the resident Greek scholar. The the word here that Paul uses for nothing means no thing. (laughs) Nothing, okay? I, I thought some of you might appreciate that. Maybe not. I got a kick out of it, sorry. He, he said, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Now, you want some guideline for your life? Start right there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do you realize that if we live our lives in response to just these three verses that we have read, it would revolutionize every interpersonal relationship that we have? It would change the way that you live in church, in family, in the neighborhood, at school, at work. It would revolutionize. If you determined and I determined, I would do nothing out of selfish ambition. How would that change the way that I deal with business partners, with coworkers, with classmates, with family members? The Apostle Paul was very clear with them. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition ambition. Kind of interesting. I think of my words and my thoughts and my motivations. Some people do things out of selfish motivation all the time. Lots of people do, even when they do good things. Here's the attitude that we're saying when we do that. We're saying it's all about me. In fact, let's just say that together. It's very uncomfortable saying. I want you to say it. Heart attitude number one that we can have is, it's all about me. Let's say that, you ready? It's all about me. That's even uncomfortable to say, isn't it? But we live that way. And Paul said, church, don't do it. Don't live that way. Here's the second attitude, let's look at it. It's not about me, let's say that together. It's not about me. Who is it about? It's about Christ Jesus. You see, if you were to back up to the beginning of chapter 2, he says if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if there's any consolation in Christ, it all flows from there. It's not about you, it's about Him. And when you have fellowship with the Spirit of God, it begins to well up in generosity in your life where you do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, let me illustrate this notion that Paul gives here. Selfish ambition... It really has the connotation of and the context of a campaign. The word is actually in a couple of different um, translations, the word out of rivalries. Apparently in Paul's day, if somebody was running for an office, a politician would do or say anything necessary to get elected in Paul's day. Basically, these politicians would say, I'm going to act in such a way that you will do something for me. And Paul saying, don't do that. They would long to give selfishly toward others. Don't spend your life looking for what you can gain. Look for ways you can give. This year, don't live your life tight-fisted. Live from the fingertips. I I, I want you to see this. You you don't need to, to look at it and say, well, I've worked hard for it and not acknowledge God. In 2016, acknowledge God and do nothing out of selfish ambition, recognizing that God has blessed you. He's given you time and talent and treasures. Some of you are at a place where you've got more money at this stage of your life than you've ever had. And in fact, I I, I think about this. The the time that we'll have the most accumulated wealth in all of our lives is after we're gone. I want to make sure that you, uh, senior adults in this place, you're intentional about saying the, the estate that I leave will bless others around the world. I was a part of Beacon Baptist Church several years ago. Very first church I ever served. And a precious lady in our church who lived a quiet, unassuming life, left over $170,000 to the cause of missions, and nobody ever dreamed that she had any money, but she'd been stocking away and saving away, and it was given to Lottie Moon. That little church led this association for years and years and years in per capita giving because they had about 25, 30 people in the church, and they'd given $170,000 to missions. But there's no requirement of age on generosity. It doesn't matter if you're six or 96. Teenagers, I want you to hear, you can be generous." This is a hard attitude. you just say, "I don't have any money." Paul didn't say, "Be uh, generous with your money." He said, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition. It has nothing to do with money alone. Generosity spills over into every area of our lives. our time, our talent, our treasure. And so for you and for me, we begin to give right where we are, young or old, live our lives from the fingertips, trusting God. And this is a beautiful thing. In this passage, he says, trust God with humility. Let's move forward. I want you to see a couple of final things. The third question that we'll look at is this. Where does generosity come from? This is generosity demonstrated. Three thoughts. God-honoring generosity flows from the inside out. Where does it come from? It flows from the inside out. Again, you might do generous things on occasion, but you can be lost and do that. I'm talking about a life that is saturated with the grace of God. Understanding that God has blessed you. And flowing out, not just a resolution to do more on the outside. Some of you may have already made resolutions to do better, good things for people. And some of you may have already let those resolutions go by the wayside. But the reality is, I see it all the time. There are unmet service opportunities right here in this church, there are things that we could utilize people doing from ushers and greeters to Bible fellowship leaders to servants in all kinds of different places. And the reality is, there's not a problem of of the talent. There's a problem of distribution. If there's a fellowship with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will lead you. And some of you have ignored those promptings and just said, I'm content with what I have. And God is saying, from the inside out, I want you to be a blessing To others. Think about this. How much logical sense does it make? Lord, you have been so good to me. You have blessed me beyond measure. So here's what I will do in response. I will pray a prayer accepting you when I'm seven years old and I will do nothing else living like I want to for the rest of my life longing to go to heaven one day. How much logical sense does that make? Lord, you've been so good to me, I will go to church a couple of times a month. Just doesn't make sense. Lord, you've been so good to me that I want to give everything that I have. You have filled me, saturated, to the brim, overflowing. And now I want to start looking for others to bless And I want to live from the fingertips knowing that whatever you give, if I give it away, you'll give it back. And you may not choose to give the exact same amount because I'm not giving to get, but I'm giving just acknowledging that you are my supply. Does that make sense to anybody here? Amen. I pray so. I pray so. Three quick thoughts about this idea of generosity. One, it's from the inside out. Two, it's selfless. Obviously. We see the example in Christ. If you look at verse 5 and beyond, make this attitude of Christ your own, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage or to be grasped, but he humbled himself. It's selfless. It's more than just kindness. It is an emptying of self. Humility is an interesting thing, isn't it? I know a lot of people who almost pride themselves on how humble they are. Humility, I heard a great definition. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself. Why? Because it's not about me. It's from the inside out. It's selfless. And thirdly, I want you to see that it demonstrates Christ-likeness. It demonstrates Christ-likeness. I'll close with one very simple story. A dear friend of mine, church planner. His church was very passionately involved in missions. They flew 16 hours to the central portion of Africa. They got on a bus and drove another 14 hours into the hill country. So they've been traveling for a while now. And they get there, and he said, we're in the middle of nothing. And he said, we're working with pastors, doing pastor training. And one of the pastors came to him weeping one day. And he said, Pastor, I am called to go to the uttermost parts of the world. And my friend said, dude, you live in the uttermost parts of the world. And this pastor said, no, see there is Lake Tanganyika. There's the lake. He said, beyond the lake there are many who do not know Jesus. They've never heard His name. I must go. So they got together and he and the the missionaries that were there began to talk about it and they could have easily raised the money. They asked him, what does it take? What do you need? He said, I'd like a boat. They were going to buy him a boat. They asked him, how much would a boat cost? And he said, a boat would cost. And in his currency, translated to ours, it was about $600 for the boat and the motor that he needed to go across Lake Tanganyika to the uttermost parts of the world. They could have easily taken an offering right there and bought the boat. They could have written a check. They could have pulled people together. And my friend said, our church will buy your boat. And he stopped them and said later in the day, no, I do not want your church to buy the boat until my men have prayed. Okay? They were there on that trip for a week of of pastor training And so he said, we want to pray for one week. Before you leave, I will give you my answer. He came back the next morning and said, Pastor, we have the money. He said, what do you mean you have the money? I mean, this is a subsistence-based farming community. He said, some of our men acknowledge the fact that they have three and four shirts and they only need two. And they sold them. Some of our men realized that they eat very, very well and that they would pray and ask God to give an abundance of harvest, but they sold extra food and said they would fast a meal a day until this boat was paid for. These people who were involved in a church whose average offering was $3 a month said, Pastor, we have the money because our God has provided. All we need. Let me turn to one final place in Scripture that I think we just have to. I know our our time is running short, but turn with me to First Timothy. First Timothy. Chapter six. I just feel compelled to, to make sure that we get this in. got the right verse, verse seventeen. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come, so that they may take hold of life that is real. Church family, this is us. By all world standards, every single one of us in this room are wealthy beyond measure compared to the standards of the world. Are we going to be intentionally generous as a church family, as individual families? Dads, let me speak to you for a moment. And grandfathers, lead your family in this way of generosity. It looks like Jesus. It demonstrates Christ-likeness. I'm not talking about giving away a bunch of money. I'm saying, will we give our time and our talent and our treasure for the cause of Christ so that those who have not yet heard would be saved in Hattiesburg and around the world? Those who are coming up in life, the next generation we have a clarion call to reach our neighbors the nations and the next generation and the way that we do that is be- becoming generous saying Lord I will live from the fingertips you have blessed me I'm going to give it away Lord I want to be so saturated and so filled and so overflowing that as I look for people to bless opportunities will constantly come and I will share the good news of Jesus everywhere I go church isn't that a picture of our Lord Jesus, who was rich beyond any infinite comparison we could make, all of the glories of heaven His, He disrobed Himself of that glory and wrapped Himself in flesh as a baby in humility and died for you and for me. I want to be Christ-like in my life. And I want to lead a church that is Christ-like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for our church family. Heavenly Father, in this coming year, may we be generous people, developing the mind of Christ, ready to distribute, overflowing with grace, And Father, this morning, if there's one who's never trusted you, they've never experienced that outpouring of grace that has extended to them, that today they would be saved gloriously and radically. God, may we live radical lives, radically giving lives in the days to come. May we be intentional about our time and our talent and our treasure, investing, not wasting or spending those things, but investing them and causes that will last beyond ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we will have a time of decision.